Amen. All right. It happened in Pennsylvania, believe it or not, over a three-day period, and it involved the largest number of casualties in the entire war and became the largest battle ever in North America. And with its army in high spirits, the South invaded, uh, intended to invade the North a second time, but the North obviously had other plans. Both armies collided in a single town, and that's when the fighting began. It began and raged at Little Round Top, at the wheat field, the Devil's Den, the Peach Orchard, and more fighting commenced uh, in the streets, even in Cemetery Hill, with full-scale assaults erupting across the battlefield. Yet, despite significant losses, the North held their lines. And then on the third day of battle, the main event was a dramatic infantry assault led by 12,500 Southerners known as Pickett's Charge. But they were repulsed by the North, giving a historic loss to the Southern Army. And when the dust had cleared and the smoke had dissipated and the firing had stopped, listen, 51,000 soldiers were killed, wounded, or captured or missing. And the battle not only became the turning point in this war, but it ended the South's attempt to ever invade the North again, and it even moved the President of the United States to make one of his most famous speeches ever with words like this. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. We here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall give and have a new birth of freedom, that the government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. The war, of course, was the Civil War. The date was July 1st through the 3rd, 1863, and the battle was Gettysburg. Hey, somebody actually got that. Give it up for Pastor Tom over there, Mr. History Expert. But uh, how many guys have heard of the Battle of Gettysburg before? Hopefully most of us have, okay, at least in American history, okay. And, and how many guys would readily agree, hello, that battle was a horrific time uh, for the soldiers there and certainly uh, in our nation's history. But with all due respect, again, to those who lost their lives and gave their lives at the Battle of Gettysburg, what if I were to tell you I know a battle that makes Gettysburg look like a time at the Grand Old Opry, okay? And what if I were to tell you that this battle didn't occur at just one place at one country at one time, but it's going on right now, today, all over the world, and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries, Folks, we are talking about, once again, the satanic war on the Christian. And the facts are this, folks. We need to wake up as Christians. We Christians do not battle here and there once in a while. We go to war every single day. Whether you see it, feel it, believe it or not, the moment you got saved, Christian, you entered into a spiritual war against a demonic host whose sole purpose is to destroy you and to extinguish your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. Okay? And what's wild is most people will acknowledge uh, the wars throughout history. But they don't even want to talk about this war, the satanic war on the Christian that's been going on for the last 2,000 years, okay, and has been sending people straight into hell, okay? And so to keep you and I from getting duped and beat up all over the place in this satanic war against the Christian, what do you guys think we continue talking about it? Hey, great answer for all none of you. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> but anyway, now if you were here last time, we saw that if you're ever going to win a war, the first thing you need to know is what? You need to know who your enemy is, right? That's common sense principle, okay? And that enemy, folks, flat out that we have to deal with is none other than who? Satan, the devil himself, and he really exists contrary to popular opinion. Now, that was the problem we saw last week if you were here. Listen, 91 to 99% now say that the devil is a figment of your imagination. He's a mere symbol of evil, and that's talking about even those claiming to be Christians. Okay, it's crazy. And we saw last time the biblical proof and the societal proof is screaming out to us, folks. Are you crazy? Are you nuts? Look around. Why do you think our society is falling apart? Satan is real. He's really real. He's really out to get us, and we need to deal with this, not deny it. Okay? But that's not all. The second enemy we need to deal with, folks, if we're going to stop getting beat up and duped up all over the place, okay, in this satanic war against the Christian, is did you realize that Satan does not work alone? He's got evil cohorts with him, and they're called demons, okay? And they, too, are real, and they, too, are out to get you and I, the Christian, and mess things up. But as always, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Divine Matthew, what do you do? Take a right. right. That's right. Mark chapter 5. We're going to read the context here. And uh, you tell me how many times we see evidence in just this one passage of Scripture dealing with demons, all right? Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 17, and uh, it's actually a parallel passage that you're going to see uh, in Matthew, 
And in Matthew, you're going to see he actually mentions there's two demon-possessed men. Mark only mentions one. There's no contradiction going on there. He's just, uh, Mark is focusing on the one encounter. Okay, so keep that in mind for the skeptic out there. Oh, look at this. It's not a contradiction at all. But Mark chapter 5, let's take a look at uh, this context. Are demons really in existence even today? But here's what the Word of God says. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with a what? Evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Remember last time we saw with Satan's, uh, Satanists, where did they love to meet? What's one of the many places? Cemeteries and the tombs. Same thing as 2,000 years ago. All right? and, and this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons in, on his feet. Supernatural strength these demons have. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. Obviously, they also wanted to destroy people. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, listen, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Isn't it interesting that the demons have no hesitation? They know who Jesus is. But those same demons have duped people in our world to think that Jesus is no big shakes. That he's not the Messiah. It's crazy. The demons certainly know it. And they're forced to admit it. And so because Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Listen, my name is what? Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, Jesus did, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about how many? 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now those tending the pigs, they ran off, and they reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were what? Afraid. Now, those who had uh, seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Listen, then the people began to plead with Jesus. What? Woohoo! Praise God! Somebody's come to set us free from this demonic... What they say? They began to plead with him to leave their region. You may be seated. That's sad. That's just like today, isn't it? People are more concerned about their pigs, i.e. their livelihood, than a human being set, being set free from demons. Again, that's like our society today, unfortunately, okay? But according to your text, folks, I know it's early, but I'm kind of thinking that uh, according to the Bible anyway, uh, not contrary to, uh, contrary to popular opinion, demons and evil spirits really do exist, and they really do possess people. How many guys came to the same conclusion? Yeah, that's what happens when you read the Bible. Go figure, okay? Uh, they're not just mentioned one time. They're not just mentioned twice. But listen, eight times in just this one passage alone from Jesus. Three, they were called evil spirits. Three times they were called demons. And two, a legion or a legion of demons. And by the way, for those of you who don't know, why were there so many pigs? Because a Roman legion back in the day was upwards of 5,000 soldiers. I read another one that said possibly, possibly during this time, okay, when this was written down for us, a Roman legion could have had as many as 6,900 plus in their considered a roman legion so this guy he wasn't just demon possessed he was possessed by thousands of demons in fact for those of you hooked on math okay each one of those pigs that ran out in the hill and died that the demons went into probably had several demons in each one of them this guy is you can't even believe and see that's what's so fantastic about this passage is jesus came he didn't just tell a evil spirit one demon to get out and flee and it had to obey Thousands of them, bang, every single one of them had to do what the Son of God said to do. Power, like no other. And that's what we see in Jesus Christ. But this is the problem. The Bible is clear about the existence of demons, but what's going on in the church? Church doesn't even want to believe in it. And we're losing this satanic war because we don't even know who this second enemy is either. We not only deny the existence of Satan, we deny the existence of demons, his evil cohorts, even though the Bible is emphatically uh, emphatic about it, all over the place, okay? In fact, I think part of the reason why is not only our own skepticism, but I think it's also because of what the media does to you and I. And the media always wants to downplay this issue of demons and demon possession as some sort of big joke. It's just a prank. It's just it's people trying to scare you. There's nothing to it, okay? Like these commercials. Let's take a look at this. 
What's happening? What's happening? In the modern oh. world, you can control just about anything with an app. Your son is turning on all the lights again. And with the eSurance mobile app, you can do the same thing with your car insurance. Like access your ID card, file a claim, or manage your policy. It's so easy, it's almost scary. Get out of here! it was that noise you heard it's, it's the person on the second floor it's just a vacuum cleaner you know what I'm saying? all the freaky stuff going no this is just a little kid he's playing you know your cell phones they do everything nowadays you know that's all that stuff is okay uh but the folks this is what the media does it's bad enough we have our own skepticism when i put our heads in the sand act like it's not real but the media is out there trying to downplay it too and get us to joke okay when it is a big deal demons are just as real just as evil as satan they really exist and i want to once again share with you that proof and of course the first one the primary source the one we should always go back to when it comes to declaring what is true and what is not and that's the biblical proof okay now believe it or not we just read mark 5 mark 5 is one of many passages in the bible showing us and proving to us the existence of literal demons over and over and over and over again that we really do have to deal with on a daily basis there really is a war going on old testament new testament they are mentioned all over the place let me once again just rip through just some of that proof uh and we certainly can't deal with all of it but again it's old testament and new deuteronomy 32 17 they sacrifice to who demons which are not god gods they had not known gods that recently appeared gods your fathers did not fear psalm 106 37 to 39 they sacrifice their sons and daughters to who to demons leviticus 17 7 they shall no longer sacrifice their sacrifice to the goat demons with which they play the harlot isaiah 13 21 but the desert beats beasts will lie down there their houses will be full of howling creatures their owls will draw the goat demons will dance there second chronicles eleven fifteen. jeroboam appointed his own priest for the high places the goat demons and the golden calves he had made what what is satan up here you see some of the pictures what the goat as well. Same thing's going on, folks, in the Old Testament. All he does is repackage himself. All right? Matthew 4, now New Testament. News about him spread over Syria. The people brought to him Jesus, all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain. The what? Demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Matthew 8, 16. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him jesus he drove out the spirits with a word and he healed all the sick matthew 18 uh, 8 28 he arrived at the other side of the gadarenes the two demon-possessed men this is the second account again no contradiction uh, matthew mentions two guys mark just hones in on one of the two no contradictions they were so violent that no one could pass that way matthew 9 32 while they were going out a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to jesus matthew 12 22 they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute jesus healed him so he could both talk and see matthew 15 22 a canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him jesus crying out lord son of david have mercy on me my daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession matthew 17 18 jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment mark 1 32 the evening came the sunset people brought to jesus all the sick and the demon possessed mark 7 26 a woman was a greek born of syrian phoenicia she begged jesus to drive the 
demon out of her daughter. Luke 4, 33-35, in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out the top of his voice, what do you want with us, Jesus Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Again, the demons know who Jesus is. And yet we're skeptical. Can you believe that? Be quiet, Jesus says, so they come out of him. The demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. Luke 8, 27, 29, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from that town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Jesus commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it seized him, though he was chained hand and foot, kept under guard. He had broken his chains, had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Luke 8, 36, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Luke 9, 42, even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in convulsion, but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. Luke eleven fourteen, 14, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. John 7, 20, you are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? They're saying that to Jesus, believe it or not. John 8, 48 and 9, they do it again. Jesus answered, are, 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 you, are we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and, and, and demon-possessed? The Jews said to Jesus, I'm not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my father, you dishonor me. And John 8, 52, at this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. John 10, 20 to 21, many said to them, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, listen, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Acts 19, 13 to 16, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, try, listen, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were what? Demon-possessed. Here's what they did. They would say, quote, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. You notice there, they didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. They just used his name like you see in Hollywood today. Oh, they got a crucifix. Or somebody tries to invoke the name of Jesus. You better have a relationship with him. But these guys didn't, and look what happened. Hey, uh, uh, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Listen to this. They were called the seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest. They were doing this. On that day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? How many guys say they're in trouble now? <laughs> yeah, and that's what happened. Listen, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You better know Jesus Christ if you run into spiritual warfare. 1 Corinthians 10, 20-21, the sacrifice the pagans are offered to who? Demons, not gods. And I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. How many guys are saying God says you need to be separate? Okay, from this baloney, okay, big time. First uh, Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says in the latter times, the last days, guess what's going to happen? In the church, some will abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits, things taught by who? Demons, going on today. James 2.19, you believe there's one God? Good, even the demons believe that and they shudder. Hey, hey, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. All you just did is made the same statement that demons make and they ain't saved, Okay. It's more than just giving mental assent that God's real and Jesus is real. You better surrender to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's it. You need to have a relationship. Revelation 9.20, almost done. The rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of the hands. They did not stop. What? Worshiping demons in the seven-year tribulation. Revelation 16.14, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. This is demons going out duping people to try to take on God at the battle of Armageddon at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And the one world religion harlot system, Revelation 18.2, and he cried out with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a what? A dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Hateful bird, unclean bird, you know he's talking about chicken. <laughs> hey, you know it's true. All right, maybe, maybe not that, but the rest of it's good. Okay, but I don't know about you guys, but listen, and again, how many guys would say, again, and I can't mention them all, or we'd be here all day, okay, but how many guys would say, and I wanted to do this on purpose, so you, again, don't think, it's just some spurious passage, or that's just those friends Christians that want to take one isolated verse and make a big giant doctrine out of it, are you kidding me? How many guys would say that the Bible emphatically declares that there are such a thing as real live demons, they actually exist, and they actually possess people? Old Testament, New Testament, it's all over the place. 
Okay, And that's just, again, I gave you 30 examples just like with the existence of Satan. In fact, the Bible specifically says, in, in accordance to the ministry of the Messiah, quote, that the Messiah, Jesus, came to set the captives free. Now, you've got to understand when he's making that context and saying he's the one fulfilling that passage in the Gospels, Jesus is doing that in the context of people being delivered from demonic possession. That's the captive setting free. He wasn't talking about, I've come to set people free, the captives free, from a poor economic situation. Oh no, they have such low self-esteem, I've come to set them free. No, the context of Jesus fulfilling the prophecy of the coming Messiah, setting the captives free, even that is in the context of being set free from demonic activity. Okay, That's why he's casting so many out. But here's my whole point. How in the world could you sit there with all due respect, how could you sit there as a supposed Christian and not only deny Satan's existence, but deny demons? They're all over the place in the scripture. There's no way you could sit there and say, it's a figment of your imagination. No, no, no. It's those preachers that are trying to scare you, trying to scare you to get your money. They're manipulating. They're mentioned all over the place. All over the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, beginning to the end, okay? And here's the problem. Again, once you go down this route, even as a supposed Christian, you just open up Pandora's box. If I can't take these passages, not only as we saw last week with Satan, but now this week with demons, if I can't take these passages literally, then why should I take anything else in the Bible literally? Right? Think about it, right? You just open up Pandora's box. Maybe Jesus is not the Messiah. Maybe he didn't come to set the captives free. Uh, maybe demons don't exist and they don't really possess people. Maybe there is another way to heaven. Maybe the one world religion harlot system is a great thing after all. Hey, maybe we really could take on God at the end of the seven-year tribulation and whoop his pants at the battle of Armageddon. You see the problem? If I can't take this seriously and literally, you messed up the whole scripture. And can I tell you something? That's what the real live demons want people to believe. They want them to go along in that false teaching because they're trying to keep them away from God and Jesus Christ to the very end because they want them to go to the lake of fire and join them because that's where they're headed to. And so to me, the obvious question is this. Hey, Lo, if you're going to be honest, if you're going to be a professing Christian and you're going to allow the scripture to speak for itself, which is what we're supposed to do as Christians, Okay, then they obviously exist just like Satan, right? They're not just in existence, they really possess people, okay? But my question is, who are they, right? Where'd they come from, and what are they up to today, right? Isn't that what you would think you would want to know? Okay, and that's what we're going to do. Let's go down and see who these things are that the Bible calls demons, okay? And I want to deal with this replete because there's some false ideas out there that we need to clarify. But let's take a look at, first of all, where did demons come from? Well, the Bible's clear they're fallen angels, Right now, angels. Okay, first of all, the Hebrew word malak. Okay, in the Old Testament, when we see angels, it just means messenger. Okay, in the New Testament, it's the exact same thing, except it's in Greek. It's the Greek word angelos, and it too means messenger. Angels are not humans. Humans do not become angels. We'll get to that in a second. Angels are a special created being to be messengers for God. Old Testament, New Testament, both words mean the exact same thing. The problem is not all of them stayed with God. So now we have two categories of angels, messengers, Malak or Angelas. The first of all, the category is the holy angels, the unfallen angels, or what the Bible calls the elect angels in 1 Timothy 5.21. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus to, and the elect angels, those angels that remained with God, okay, is what he's talking about. If you will, what we would say, the good angels, Okay, now the bad ones are what's called the unholy angels, fallen angels, or the word demon. Now, the first one that fell, of course, was Satan, and that's what we see. He is a powerful being, but he's just an angel, okay? Uh, and he fell in Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn, you've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend to the tops of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. Satan became proud. Satan wanted to be God. Satan wanted to be worshipped as God. Well, guess what? The job's not open. Okay, he lost. And that's why you keep reading it says, but you were brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. But he's so stinking evil, and he's the origin of evil and suffering, by the way, not God. Okay, He didn't go alone. He took one-third of the angels. They rebelled with him. And that's what we see in Revelation chapter 12. These are who the demons are. 
The ones who went with Satan. Revelation 12, 4. His tail, the dragons defined as Satan in the context. So Satan swept how many? A third of the stars. Not a literal star. In the context, if you read the whole thing, it's dealing with demons. A third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Okay? So that's who they are. They're fallen angels. Now, demons themselves, most of us know that. We don't usually get this. Demons themselves are in subcategories. Okay, some are the first ones are bound or confined. Okay, number one. Number two, you also got demons that are active. They're free, right? So let's take a look at that first category, demons that are bound or confined or imprisoned. And this is what we see in 2 Peter 2 and Jude 6. It's a permanent binding. They are not getting out. They were stuck in the pit called Tartarus, and they're not getting out. We'll get to why, I believe, in just a little bit. But 2 Peter 2, for if God did not spare the angels, fallen angels, demons, when they sinned, but sent them to hell, it's actually the Greek word Tartarus, a holding place, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. And Jude 6, and the angels, demons, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for the judgment on the great day. So in demons, first category, bound, imprisoned, combined. Subcategory, permanent binding. Well, believe it or not, there's some demons that are bound, but it's only going to be temporary. They're going to be released in the seven-year tribulation. Man, you don't want to be there. And that's what we see in Revelation 9, 2, 3, 10, and 15. When he opened the abyss, the abusa, smoke came from him like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. And out of the smoke, locusts in the context demons not little bugs, okay, came down upon the earth. They had tails and stings like scorpions and their tails. They had the power to torment people for five months. The Bible says it was so bad they wanted to die, but God wouldn't allow them to die. You think it's bad? This is literally hell on earth. The pit opens up. The planet is flooded with demons. They start coming out in mass, tormenting people who took the mark by the way, okay, and the four angels, also here's what's going on, four angels who had been kept ready, so they had been confined, they're going to be let out to this very hour and day and month and year, and they were released to kill how much? One third of mankind, just four angels, uh, demons, okay, fallen angels there. Now, there's also demons that are active today, right? So you got demons that are bound permanently, bound temporarily, they get out in the seven-year tribulation, and you got demons that are not bound at all. This is what we have to deal with today, Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against what? The powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Okay. Now, the Bible also tells us where their future is. That's today, but here's what's going to happen. In the future, at the end of the millennial kingdom... Okay, they are going into the lake of fire. Matthew 25, Jesus said this, verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for who? The devil and his angelos, his messengers, demons. Okay, the scripture talks about there. Now, let's take a look real quick before we move on at what demons are not. I think the Bible is very clear that they're fallen angels. But people got some serious misconceptions about that. And number one, don't listen to Hollywood. Demons are not dead people, right? Demons are not dead people. Some people would say that demons are simply the spirits of dead people who are really bad. <gasps> Don't think so, folks. The Bible is, uh, says that when somebody dies, you go to one of two places. And when you get there, you're not coming back, okay? So when you go to heaven, you go to heaven. Those who get saved, you go straight to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8, absent from the body. Christian is to be present with who? The Lord. We go straight to be with Jesus and that's the way it is. You go straight there. There's no in-between. For the unsaved, you go straight into hell, okay, instantly. Luke 16, 22 and 23. The rich man also died and was buried in where? In hell. He went straight there where he was in torment. And both places are places of no return. How many of you guys are glad when you get to heaven through Jesus Christ, you don't come back? Who'd want to come back? Well, guess what? It's the same thing for hell. It's a place of no return. You're not coming back. Job 7, 9 through 10 uh, says, As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so he who goes down to the grave, what? Does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. Luke 16, 26, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. 
You get there, you're not coming back. Those in heaven remain in heaven. Those in hell remain in hell until the end of the millennial kingdom where you're brought up from hell before the great white throne judgment of God. Revelation 21, uh, 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open because they didn't trust Jesus Christ in his work on the cross. They trusted in their own works. Okay, God makes the pronouncement, and guess what? Uh, you go straight into the lake of fire. You thought it was bad in hell? You ain't seen nothing yet. Basically, you go from the frying pan into the fire. Okay, and that's what we see is called the second death, right? Revelation 20, 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. You went from hell into the lake of fire. It just got even worse uh, for all that time. So here's the point. But well, wait a second. You heard those say, but I saw something in my bedroom. And, and they said they were Aunt Vera. Yeah. Pay attention. If somebody does see, and I'm not saying they don't see something, but if they see a, quote, spirit entity claiming to be a deceased loved one or some historical figure, it's a demon. It's a demon impersonating that loved one because, again, you go to heaven, you stay in heaven. You go to hell, you stay in hell. You don't come back. It's a demon impersonating a person who went to heaven or hell. The Bible has a name for these demonic entities. They're called familiar spirits. They try to look familiar like Aunt Vera. They'll transform themselves, even their voice. And, of course, we all know when the demons speak through people to make it authentic, they've always got that incredible British accent going on. Right? And it makes everybody, oh, it's got to be real. He's British. <laughs> you know, whatever. Right? So they can manipulate their looks. They can manipulate their voice. Okay, but the Bible calls that a familiar spirit. Okay? And they seek people to lead people away from God. Because what happens invariably? Do they turn to the Word of God after that? They start going to church services? No. They start getting into psychics and psychic phenomena. They start listening to mediums. They get led away from Christ. Okay? They're demons duping people, okay, as the dead person. And the Bible warns us. Leviticus 19, also Deuteronomy 18, same warning. But Leviticus 19.31 says, Do not turn to spirits of the what? The dead. Okay, the people aren't, that's not people. And don't inquire of familiar spirits to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Okay, now, so they're not people, believe it or not, they're also not this. Some people would say demons are a, uh, a pre-Adamic race of people. Let me explain that. Some people would say that uh, there was a whole race of people who existed prior to Adam, and they were destroyed in some war or something, Okay, and they are the ones who became the demons. I don't think so. Uh, this actually is a false teaching that arrived from another false teaching called the gap theory. Now, we went through this in our 42-week study on creation versus evolution called the witness of creation, uh, if you ever want to go down deep on that. But the gap theory presupposes there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 where they say a whole race of people existed over millions of years, but they perished. Well, first of all, that's a big gap between two verses, okay? But that's not how you interpret the Bible. It's not even true anyway. Okay, part of the reason why they even came up with this is because they didn't have the knowledge base in the church that we do today, right? You don't need to compromise with the lie of evolution. Evolution is a lie. They invented the gap theory to try to work with the lie of evolution that we've been here for millions of years. So they had to find somewhere to build in this supposed millions of years. But guess what? We haven't been here for millions of years. That's a lie. We know that. Even with their dating methods, again, get the witness of creation study. We went extremely deep in that. But the Bible says you add up the dates. We've been here roughly around 6,000 years. Now, first of all, again, evolution is a lie. I don't need to defend a lie. Right? Number two, okay, secondly, there is no scriptural support for this view. The Bible says that Adam was the first man. He wasn't a new generation. He wasn't a second try. He was the first man, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. So it is written, the what? First man who? Adam, not the second go-round. The first man, Adam, became a living being. Also, there's no death prior to Adam, right? Because the whole idea is that this race existed, and there was this battle, and a bunch of people died, and they became the demons. What? No, death didn't enter the world until Adam, okay? Romans 5, 12 and 14. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and through death, uh, death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men. Death reigned from the time of Adam, okay? So that can't be true. There's no race of people prior to Adam. Adam and Eve were truly the first, okay? One more, believe it or not. People would say the demons are this. They say they're a hybrid version of people. 
Okay? From the Genesis 6 account. Some would say that the demons are the spirits of the Nephilim. The Nephilim that were mentioned in the Bible that did arise from the mingling of fallen angels, demons, who uh, mingled with the daughters of men. This is mentioned in Genesis chapter 6, uh, verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, also afterwards, when the sons of God, angels, obviously fallen angels, went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, the men of renown. Big giants, you know, things of that nature. Now, now, so they say these Nephilim that were created by this fallen angel, demon, daughters of men, hybrid issue, okay, who were destroyed, obviously, by the flood, right? That their spirits are what became the demons we have to deal with today. Don't think so. Uh, first of all, just like the previous two, there is zero scriptural evidence for this whatsoever. Okay, number one. Rather, what people are getting this from, and why it's being popularized even today, is because they're going to a book outside the Bible. And that's called the book of Enoch. It's a non-biblical book. Granted, it's interesting. Granted, it's an interesting historical book. But you cannot build a doctrine off a non-inspired, uh, non-inerrant, authoritative uh, book, okay? It didn't make the canon for good reasons, okay? You should never base a belief on an extra-biblical book, and that's what these people are doing, okay? Now, rather, let me explain. Biblical scholars believe that the Nephilim were really real. I believe that there was, as freaky as it sounds, some sort of demonic hybrid thing going on in the Genesis 6 account. But guess what? They perish just like the rest of the people saved Noah and his family at the time of the flood. Okay? And their spirits did not become the demons. Rather, listen, who became the demons is the angels, okay, who were already demons, okay? They are the ones who are the ones the scripture says are imprisoned. Right? It makes total sense if you let the scripture speak to itself. The, fallen, the Nephilim died with all the other people that uh, perished in the pre-flood world, right? Period. The fallen angels who did this mingling with the women, they are already demons. But because of what they did with these daughters of men that created this Nephilim, they're the ones that God says, because of that, you're permanently bound. This, this tells us why. This tells us why the scripture says some demons are never getting out. And that's because of what they did here in Genesis 6, 2 Peter 2, 4. For God did not spare the angels, demons, when they sinned. What did they sinned? They mingled with the daughters of men. Okay? And so what did he do? He sent them to hell, Tartarus, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. Jude 6. And the angels, demons, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for the judgment of the great day, because of what they did with the mingling of the daughters of men. In fact, Jude 7 reiterates what they were doing, okay? Jude 7, even as who? Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner as what? Like manner is verse 6, dealing with these imprisoned demons, okay? Giving themselves over to fornication and going after what? What's the word there? Strange flesh, all right? Two things. Sodom and Gomorrah, what was going on there? Homosexuality, that's not right. That's not normal. The normal situation there is male and female, not man and man. Okay. Number two, even the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they too were going after strange flesh, even strange flesh with angels. Right. When the two angels came to them, what did the guys of Sodom and Gomorrah say? We want them. And this is in the same context of Jude 6 that talks about these demons that are permanently bound. The context tells us they did the same thing, right? They went after strange flesh, they, these women that they went after, and thus they are kept and imprisoned uh, for good. And that's what he says. They're set forth as an example, suffering vengeance of eternal fire. So this explains why demons, certain ones, are not allowed. Yeah, you got it now. Demons are not allowed uh, to roam, all right? Some get to, some are permanently bound, some are bound, they'll only get to release during the seven-year tribulation, okay? They went after strange flesh, that's why. Now, demons, therefore, obviously got all that to this. Once again, it leaves you only with one option, which was the option on the table the whole time. Demons are simply fallen angels, okay? Demons just simply another title for a fallen angel, okay? Biblical scholars believe that they're the fallen angels, they're cohorts of Satan, they're the third that went with him, rebelled with him against God, and that's whom we got to deal with today, okay? So I said all that, I wanted to be replete because there's a lot of misconceptions going on out there, but how much more proof do we need to deal with the facts that literal demons exist, okay? Literal fallen angels that we literally have to deal with every single day, okay? 
There's no reason to deny this. You don't have to get afraid or freaked out, but we need to deal with it. And this is why we're getting whooped on. Because guess what? They're still in existence today. Not all of them are bound. Not all of them are confined. Not all of them are in prison. Some are still around today. This is why we're getting whooped up on. Because again, we're acting like we're in a cakewalk instead of a war. We don't know not only who our first enemy is, Satan. We don't even know who our second enemy is. And that's a third of the angels. How many are there? A bunch. The Bible, when it talks about when God created the angels originally... Myriads upon myriads upon myriads. You can't even count them. Now, praise God, you notice Satan's only got one-third. Who's got two-thirds? Right, God? In fact, even of the third, some of them are bound. So they really don't even have a full third. Okay, and some are confined until the seven-year tribulation. But still, this is real, folks, and we need to deal with it, okay? Demons are not a figment of our imagination. They are not a scare tactics from preachers to get your money. They really exist just like Satan, and they're really out to get you. Right? Can we deal with this? That's all Bible. Number one. Number two, the second source proving the existence of even uh, demons is the societal proof, okay? The societal proof, okay? And again, this is a common sense question, but I'm going to pose it anyway. If demons are real, as we just saw, the Bible declares all over the place, Old Testament, New Testament, and we saw that not all demons are confined, okay, but some of them still get to roam around the earth, right, even to this day, then how many guys would say that demons are probably still roaming around the earth messing with people today? Yeah, you guys can figure that out without any help. That's great. Okay, and folks, that's exactly what we find all throughout our society. Demons are still active right now as we sit here in all four corners of the planet. They really do exist. It's not just some spurious thing in the scripture. And how many times have you heard Chris say, oh, that was just back in Jesus' days. Uh, that was just stirred up activity because of his presence on earth. We don't have to deal with, are you kidding me? Demons are just as real. In fact, you go to about any third world country. And you're going to see there's a, an abundance of them everywhere, right? Let's take a look at our first example. In Europe, I know that people don't believe that there are demons or evil spirits. Who are you? Are you Baal or Astaroth? I want to know. Or you are Leviathan. In the mighty name of Jesus, I command you to come out with your name. What is your name? Demo, I command you now. What is your name? What is your name? What is your name? Le, bi ambeni ni egbe na ni baje kwe. Len len inte ya na ke one. Breakani. Pako ni ema. Ni noni ita wani yue ni eba yue ni abanu. Jawa fele kusum. Their practices has its root in satanic kingdom, not in the kingdom of God. And everything that is of Satan is evil, is demonic, and we can't accept those things. and the captives free today. Still goes on, just like it did 2,000 years ago. In fact, not just like what Jesus did, but just like what Paul did. Now, were you guys paying attention? This is what's mind-blowing. You talk about Scripture coming alive. Right? This is in Ghana, right? And as if that's the only place this is happening. It's happening here in the U.S. Maybe we'll get to that someday. Okay, but uh, did you notice what he was doing with that lady? He's, he was specifically calling upon the cobra spirit, the snake spirit. Did you catch that? It says the cobra, right? There's other videos I had to edit, and she was like sucking on eggs and stuff because cobras like eggs, and she had this full-blown possession going on. But what he do? He wasn't just getting her to go through this demonic ritual to be possessed with this cobra spirit, a demon, a snake spirit, okay? But that she could become a what? An oracle to supposedly predict the future. So what? So he could step back and charge people money, right, for her ability to do divination and things of that nature. Did you know that's exactly what Paul dealt with 2,000 years ago? Have you read the book of Acts? Exactly the same thing going on, being repeated today. Acts 16, 16. Now it happened, Paul said, of us going to the place of prayer, a certain girl having a what? Spirit of python. It's python in the Greek. It means python. 
It's a snake spirit. Just like that guy called out today, cobra spirit. Same thing. Some translations want to neutralize it and say spirit of divination or whatever. And that's true. But it literally is Puthon, Python. It's a snake spirit and, and met us and who was bringing her masters what? Much gain by what? Fortune telling, right? So these people took this slave girl. She got possessed by a Puthon snake spirit, okay? And they were making cash. And Paul, if you read the rest of the passage, what do he do? He cast the demon out of her, and what did the people do? They got all mad because what? They lost their livelihood. That's exactly what this guy's doing today, today in Ghana. 2,000 years later, okay? But if you look around, folks, in third world countries, uh, demons are not just all over the place, just like in the Bible. It's still going on today. The locals don't doubt it. The Christians over there are dealing with it every single day, and they're setting the captives free in the name of Jesus Christ. But that's the problem. Here in the West, we act like, okay, all right, all right, all right, so maybe it's still going on today, but it's just those third world countries. Here in America, we're much too sophisticated for that, right? And that mindset, again, is coming from the media, but it's also coming from the live secular psychology. And we're going to hit this, Lord willing, in probably a couple weeks, okay? They have trained us to think that people who are actually in America, full-blown, demonically possessed, no, 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 they're not possessed, no, 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 uh, they have a form of psychological aberration. Some form of mental uh, rehabilitation procedure needs to take place. We need to give them massive amounts of drugs and keep them quiet as if that fixes anything. And basically, they put it in our mindset to downplay it as if it could never happen here in the United States. We're just too sophisticated people for this, this kind of stuff. And I will tell you personally, folks, uh, I've been to many a psych ward in 20 years plus ministry as a visitor. I had to say that because people come to wrong conclusions all the time, right? But with all due respect, hey, I've been to them. I'm not saying everybody in there is demonically possessed, but folks, there is something going on in every psych ward that I've ever been a part of, and I'm not getting weird, wacky, charismatic, or whatever, so to speak, but there is something spiritual going on, and there's been encounters that I've had with people and praying with them. And it acts just like this, man. They start convulsing. They start shaking. And it ain't just drugs. There is something spiritual. But see, that's what we do as society. We take people who are demonically possessed and we drug them and put them in a room. When the whole time, we need to be setting captives free. Christians elsewhere are doing it. But see, we don't do that. We don't even think to do that because of the lie of secular psychology. Okay. And, uh, but again, all you got to do is look around, folks. Even here in the United States, we have people who are not suffering from a psychological aberration. They're suffering from demonic possession. Okay? I only have time because we got to close. I'm going to give you two examples. We'll get into more of this greater detail later. Okay? Two examples. I'm going to give you one from a guy and one from a lady. And you tell me if here in America, we don't have to deal with actual demonic possession. Let's take a look. cleaner that's all it was the guy's had in his backpack it was sucking her that way that's all dude was messing on his cell phone that's all what no 
It was a psychological aberration. Man, there's so many I could have shown. Folks, it's not a vacuum cleaner. It's not a cell phone. It's not a mental disorder. People, even America, are being demonically possessed. And can I tell you something? I think it's on an even bigger scale than some third world countries. It's just we've been so trained to write it off as something else. Okay? Especially with the issue of encouraging drug usage. We'll get to that later. But how many of us have been wrongly trained by God-hating teachings of secular psychology to turn a blind eye? And I don't know about you, but every time I've watched that, even when I was putting it together, I'm praying if these people are still alive, God, would you please set the captives free? The guy in that convenience store and that girl in that subway. Would you please set him free in the name of Jesus Christ? Not only the evidence of the Bible, but even the evidence of society, if we don't turn a blind eye to it, shows that, guess what? Demons really are real. They really exist, and they really still possess people today. This is flat-out pure evil. This is going on all the time. Okay? Now, for those of you, once again, who are sufficiently freaked out, and rightly so, because this is freaky, but it's real, and we need to deal with it. The Bible says, if you're a Christian, copy out there, if you're a Christian, you don't have to worry about these demons possessing you ever. Now, if you're not a Christian, you need to be scared, you need to be afraid, very afraid. Because you don't belong to God. And not only Satan, but demons can mess with you, they can possess you anytime they want. Okay, But if you're a Christian, listen to what God says of the benefit of being a born-again Christian, even still having to deal with demonic activity. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know, Christian, that you yourselves are what? God's temple, and that God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, what? lives in you. And John 14, 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we, God the Father, God the Son, will come to him and what? Make our home with him. So that's the common sense thing. Give me a break, folks. Contrary to some other folks that are teaching wrong, that Christians can be possessed. If God the Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son has made their home in me as a born-again Christian, and I have become their temple, there's no way in the world that God is going to scooch over and share that temple with a demon. It ain't ever going to happen. That's the benefit. We might be externally oppressed. That still happens today as a Christian. But you can never be internally possessed. We've been set free from that. We are the temple of God. Okay? And he doesn't share that temple with demons. Okay? But again, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're, you're in bad trouble. No, I'm serious. You really are. Number one, for all eternity. I don't want you to go to hell. Accept Christ right now as your Savior. This is not a game. Number two, before you even get to hell, if you still refuse to repent and turn to Jesus, these demons, they cannot just mess with you on the outside. They can come into you. You could become the new legion on the inside. In fact, maybe, maybe you were like me. Because I was probably not just oppressed, but possessed multiple times. Back in my dark ages, in the occult, in the new age that I was involved in. I asked these things to come inside me. And maybe, just maybe, you got the same voice going through your head that used to go through my head, laughing, mocking, scoffing at the preacher. This is just trying to scare you. Desperately, your heart's pounding even now. But inside, your pride will keep you from getting out of that pew. The same demons are trying to get you to go into the lake of fire. But Christian, we need to deal with this. It's high time we get our head out of the sand. Stop being ignorant, as Paul says, of the devil schemes. And stop listening to the live secular psychology. There is a war going on. It ain't just abroad. It's right here in our own country. It's a cosmic battle for the souls of men and women. The stakes are high, and there's millions of lives at risk. And if we're going to win this war, then the American church needs to shine for Jesus Christ and take this spiritual war seriously. This is no time to be denying the existence of demons. We need to wake up. The alarm has sounded. We're under attack. It's the satanic war on the Christian. Don't let the enemy get you. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. 
Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The Fifth Commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven, that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more. The Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime, and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, Hey, uh, you are going to jail. You are going to the death penalty for that crime. And we know that people, that happens all the time, and they go to jail. But believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes, and by receiving that pardon, the doors come open, and they are set free, and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. 
He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you. But you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crown of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.